You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I hope you've had a good week. It has been a hectic one for me. Work has been pretty crazy. Just uh, had a lot of stuff going on and stuff. And uh, my wife and I are actually trying to get out of town on a family vacation. Um, headed to New Mexico, do a little snow skiing. And so it's just been like sometimes the work to get to go on the vacation is almost not worth the vacation itself. Um, but almost there. Uh, supposed to leave tomorrow, but luckily... I had enough time to crank out a awesome, awesome podcast for you guys before I uh, leave. Uh, we are talking to Adam Keith of Land and Legacy. A lot of you guys probably know who they are, or who Land and Legacy is. Uh, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Uh, I actually had these guys out to our uh, last property several years ago. We actually talked about what year it was, and neither one of us could remember. I think it was 2017. Um, but right after, I mean, like months into their journey and starting Land and Legacy. And so we tell a few funny stories from that, um, talk about what I learned from them. And, uh, but more importantly, today we are taking a deep dive into hunting terrain features and more specifically saddles. Um, if you guys have listened to this podcast, you've heard me talk about the saddle that I hunted a couple times this year um, in the back of my brother's place, uh, right on the edge of what I always call the canyon. And you guys are going to get get to really kind of see it for yourselves. Uh, I will say I'm going to post a picture uh, that, you know, the picture that I sent Adam that we're working off of. I'm going to post that on Facebook and Instagram. And so if you need to pause this real quick and look that up, uh, that is at Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. And uh, you can follow along with us. But basically, like I said, Adam's just kind of looking at this on Onyx, using the topo and some information I provided him. And we just go through, you know, things we could do to make it better, um, things I've done, maybe some things we shouldn't do. Um, is it good to hunt it at all? <coughs> Excuse me. And so real quick before we uh, dive into that, though, I wanted to take a little time just in case, you know, you're driving or listening to this in a place where you can't look at the picture. I want to take a few minutes to kind of describe what we're talking about before we dive into this, just so you guys get a little idea of what we're talking about. And so... Uh, so this is basically, this is about 180, 200 acres we're talking about here, um, going from north to south. So basically we're coming from our main, you know, ranch, you cross this little creek and then basically this big ridge pops up and the ridge kind of runs southwest to northeast. And then on that northeast point, 
it basically makes a big bowl. And that bowl is the northern portion of this saddle that we're going to be talking about. And then the ridge kind of continues to the east. Uh, my access point is kind of up the east side of that bowl. And then kind of get up on top and then approach a blind from the east, walking west. And then the saddle is to the west of that blind. You'll see a big X. The X is the saddle. You'll see the blind symbol and uh, there's a parking symbol and a gate symbol for where I access uh, the south side of that saddle is what I always refer to as the canyon. It's a big draw, has a couple different fingers on it. And so this is the main area we're going to be talking about. Um, you'll have hear Adam talk about, I think he calls it the secret saddle. Uh, that is if you pop over one more hill to the west. That's kind of what he's referring to there. Um, and so hopefully I'm doing a fairly good job. It, it's hard to do this, you know, audio, but we're going to do the best time. Luckily, Adam is very experienced, you know, talking about habitat features over audio. So he does a great job of painting the picture. Um, but yeah, again, I just kind of wanted everybody listening to be a little bit familiar with what we're talking about. So you got a, a ridge running kind of east, west, a little bowl area, and then that bowl is the north part of the saddle. So obviously the saddle, you got a hill on each side. My current currently have a blind set up on the east hill overlooking that saddle to the west. And so hopefully I did a good job painting that picture there in your mind. Um, again, this is great. We talk about this saddle. We talk about, uh, you know, just saddles in general, other terrain features. Um, it's a really good conversation, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, it's a really long conversation, and so I don't want to take up too much time with this intro. Uh, I do want to say Backwoods Show. Hope you guys are going to be there. Oklahoma City. Uh, I believe it's March 4th through 6th. I'll be in booth 34 uh, on the West Wall. So come out and see me there at the Backwoods Show. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And here's my interview with Adam Keith of Landon Legacy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. Today we got Adam Keith with Landon Legacy. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Man, I was trying to think before we started recording. I think I actually met you at your previous job one time. And then, uh, yep. Uh, and then, uh, pretty quickly after you and Matt struck it on your own, y'all came down to Oklahoma and toured our place. I want to say I was probably one of y'all's first clients. Yeah. You were in 2017, right? Uh, That sounds right. That sounds right. I think it was 2017, Uh 2017 or, and and I'm trying to remember because it was in the spring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wasn't it like March? Because I remember we saw some turkeys strutting in one of their middle fields of the farm you guys previously owned. Uh Uh-huh. March sounds about right. And so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it might've been 2018 then. Mm Might've been 2018. I don't remember. (laughs) I don't either. Seems like a, uh, you know, a lifetime ago. Uh Uh-huh. I know. You think about building a business and, Mm -hmm. and kids come along and all of a sudden you're like yeah oh, that was like 2017 2018 golly it seems like it was a lot longer ago than five years but uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah so yeah we go but we kind of go back away we now. do a little bit we do a little bit we've kept in touch a little bit over the years and uh now i'm doing this and that place is sold and we got this other place and uh i need to have you and matt out again uh sometime but for for now we're gonna cheat a little bit and i'm gonna i'm gonna use you over the podcast to get a little information out of you if that's all right you're gonna get the free advice that's right that's right i mean i'll pay it back somehow i'm sure someday yeah yeah well cool man well before we start though Uh i'm still i'm still waiting 
waiting for the day that I can join you guys on an elk trip out west. I never forgot that invite, and I always wanted to go. But that's right. I I don't know how how the uh, hunting has been over the last several years, but. You know, I, I, I'm looking forward to one day getting on a little elk trip. All right. All right. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I'll definitely keep you in mind for 20, where are we at now? 23, 2023. We'll talk about that. You don't that. think you're going to be able to swing an elk trip on the on a on a six-month, six well, he, wouldn't be, or <laughs> he or she wouldn't even be six months old. No. Nope. Is that okay to say on the podcct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have announced it. Okay. But it's funny you bring that up because I actually am going on an elk hunt this year. Uh, with the oh. baby, <laughs> but it's going to oh, be a short well, one. That, that works. Yep, it's going to be a short one, and uh, a buddy and I are going to Colorado on a little semi-guided thing uh, because I'm a terrible elk Perfect. hunter and I need some help. <laughs> so, so oh man, hard to bring you along on that one. But uh, I'm definitely going to get yeah. get out west again, and and I'll definitely let you know. So I'm glad you reminded me about that. Well, I, I, uh, I, I remember you said that you know you invited us to a to a state that you said yeah the pressure's not too bad there's not mm-hmm. a ton of people mm-hmm. you know that's that's public land that's definitely become more popular yes it has that invite happened and, yes, and i think your has. brother talked about like getting camp and we could talk all kinds of different stuff including <laughs> politics now i look back it's like we won't even hunt we'll just talk uh-huh. politics oh man likely you and my brother would get along way too well absolutely so <laughs> And uh, with the amount yeah. of with the amount of people we saw on our last trip, there'd be plenty of other people to talk to you also. So definitely, oh, we definitely not wrong about that. With the old camp, exactly. The old canyon, exactly. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm. Well, cool, yeah, buddy. Uh, well, we got you on here today, and uh, in the intro, if people, if you didn't listen to my intro, you might want to go back and catch it. I'm going to lay out all this out in a little bit more detail, but. Basically, I got this section that uh, if you listen to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about it a whole lot, and uh, if you've kept up with me on social media, you've probably seen pictures of this saddle that I hunted a few times, and and I am not an experienced, I want to say saddle hunter, but you can't hardly use that term anymore because they think you're talking about a different thing, but uh, (laughs) we're going to say terrain. Like, uh, you know, I kind of grew up a flatlander. This is the first place we've really had that has a lot of topography you know elevation and everything um and so adam and matt i was like y'all come from you know out east y'all got a lot more of this than i am and so i would love to just pick your brain on how on earth i should hunt this stuff and also just what i could do to make it better no doubt and you know cut my teeth and still to this day hunt terrain country and and frankly you know i think if if you were to poll the whitetail hunters in America based on their perspective of terrain versus flat crop country, I would imagine that more people would choose flat ground than terrain. Mm. And I, that puts me in a, in a small camp because <laughs> I would choose terrain over flat ground mm-hmm. and i'm sure we can unpack that through this entire podcast but mm-hmm. ultimately i choose it because you have a much better idea of the movement patterns mm-hmm. and the the travel patterns of the deer uh, with with a little terrain mm-hmm. yeah and uh coming from the flatlanders perspective you know it was first off it was very intimidating to me and oh, yeah. uh and you know being a flatlander like you know, if there's a north wind, I know that my scent is going south. 
But when you add in all this topography, it's like just because that wind is coming from this direction doesn't necessarily mean it's going to blow that direction. And that's what's kind of really baffled me with all this. And uh, so, yeah, like I said, people can look at this, you know, this picture of kind of the topography we're going to be talking about. And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting back here. And again, you know, I hunted this spot a few times this year, but every time I hunted it, I was like, how on earth can I get a deer there? with the wind blowing here, 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 you know? And so that's what I'd love to hear your thoughts on. And also just, you know, what are some things I could do to improve this spot? Like one, you know, just idea that's popped in my head is like, maybe try to cut some bedding in. If I'm going to be hunting to the east of the saddle, maybe try to cut some bedding in towards the west, you know, just kind of keep the deer more on that side. And so, man, I'm just going to let you rip and and hear some of your thoughts on all this. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to saddles and, and, and you, you can list. So when you, when you start listing out terrain and you start like, let's just say you have a, a map and you, uh, you're using on X and you, you do hybrid or just a straight aerial. And I always choose the hybrid because I want to see those topo lines. But when you start dissecting terrain features, you can find all kinds of different things from draws to cliffs, to saddles, to shelves, to, um, just ridges and plateaus and all kinds of different things. When it comes to saddles, I think that might be the sexiest, if I can use that <laughs> word, the sexiest of all the terrain features for a whitetail hunter. Not to say, I, I don't think it's, to me personally, it ranks pretty high, but there are a few other features that I really try to key in on. Um, but saddles are pretty doggone exciting when you can find them. And most importantly, just because it's a saddle doesn't mean it's gonna you're gonna shoot a, a booner out of it or even shoot some deer out of it every time. But if it's a saddle that has important features and that that kind of comes into my job of if those features are there or can they be there? Can I do some work and, and improve those features? That's really where it comes into play. So when I see a saddle like the one that we're talking about on your property, you can quickly see that woof, this is a big ridge. And then you have this really defined saddle, as as Matt and I kind of talked about. It's like God karate chopped a ridge. That's <laughs> ultimately the formation of the saddle. And so it's a lower in elevation. And anybody who's hunted around any kind of terrain, especially like when you think of food plots, you probably notice that deer tend to like the, especially early in the in the season, they like those lower elevation areas, those little low spots in the fields, those little spots where they can be in it and feel more secluded than up on the high spot, silhouetted for everything around. They don't tend to, and I say that very loosely, is that deer don't tend to want to be on a high spot where they can be silhouetted easily. Um, not to say you can't find them that way, but I think if they had a choice, they would choose the, they would choose not being silhouetted versus being silhouetted. So with these little saddles, they, they tend to be a natural travel corridor um once again given that you have the appropriate resources on one side and the other that they're going to want to travel through it Mm -hmm. now from a hunting standpoint uh saddles might be one of the most difficult terrain features to hunt Mm -hmm. because and 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 the reason for that is one of the exact reasons why they make them while deer travel through them is is so uh common and it's because of wind currents um, anybody who's hunted much around saddles know that the wind can swirl pretty bad. And I think that is where 
you really have to start understanding is this a good saddle to hunt or a bad saddle to hunt? Mm-hmm. And I can give you a, so a lot of examples on personally on my own farm um, that have, I have ultimately four main saddles um, that, that really come into play. And um, almost every one of them run in generally an east west um, layout. So one of them is kind of slightly. Uh, well, like west, northwest, going south, southeast, but they're all kind of in that fashion. And two of them are pretty stinking awesome to hunt. And two of them are hard as heck to hunt because the wind swirls so stinking bad. Um, and really, there's not a huge difference between them, but there's some elevation. One sits a little bit more defined in the in the ridge top versus some of the others. And so, um, really there's so many variables that come into play from uh, from hunting and successfully hunting a naturally defined saddle you tracking me mm-hmm. oh yeah and and uh you know I, I look at this map and and i will uh put my phone kind of where i can see it a little better <laughs> and i'll say um as as you look this saddle looks pretty well north to south mm-hmm and it's got a great big ridge to the west. Mm-hmm. It looks like, um, yeah, you know, not. I guess it's not great big, but it's enough that it's going to cause wind currents to be uh, different than what the has forecasted. And by that, I mean just because it says it's a west wind, you go in there thinking you're going to get the wind in your face. There's a very good chance that uh, it's almost like a big. Um, trying to think of an example for you. If you've ever fished much, um, like especially in rivers or creeks, and there's a big rock that sits mm-hmm. in the river, right in the channel, you'll notice that the water eddies around that or whirlpools around the backside of it. Um, and a lot of fish sit right there for that for that very reason. But the same thing can happen with the saddle. And it's not that the saddle or is is the rock in that in that analogy I use, the rock is actually that ridge top to the west. Mm-hmm. The saddle is that whirlpool area, that little eddy. And so that's where wind currents really come into play. And so when I look at a, a saddle on a ridge, immediately tr- start trying to think that, okay, the best wind for this, that, that's most important is access and number two being wind direction. Mm-hmm. Down the list is the features that make this saddle attractive to a deer. <laughs> if we can't access it correctly and we can't find the right wind current, then we might as well leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And that's where I made the mistake on my own farm. And I know that uh, other people have made the mistake when they go and hunt a national forest. And they say, well, I found the saddle. It's awesome. But the wind swirls. Yeah, that's a pretty well a dead giveaway in a saddle of if you don't hunt it with the right wind, you're you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're wasting a hunt because deer are, a lot of times, they're going to smell you long before they ever get to the saddle. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure the access is right and the wind direction is right. So I'm going to bet, John, when I look at this and I look at your access trail, as you come in from kind of northeast of where the saddle sets, and you come down almost straight south, 
and then you veer over and you head almost due west, mm-hmm. and then there's your saddle, you would ultimately think that, well, some sort of west wind is best because I'll have the wind in my face the last 200 yards getting to that saddle. Mm-hmm. And that would sound great, but my gut tells me that you're going to ultimately have the wind at your back when you get in tight on that saddle. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly that whirlpool effect that, that I typically see when I'm hunting the saddle is you got to account for that. And there's ways to avoid it. Um, you know, I, I, another analogy I would have is like, you're going to get there pretty soon here, um, <laughs> with, with a kiddo. But whenever you see like my daughter, she, we went to this little place and, and it's like a water table and you put these little stoppers and the water that runs through and you have little boats or rubber ducks and they kind of go through and they hit all these little channels and whirlpools even though the flow of the creek or the flow of the water table is from left to right, you still have features on that table where it's going right to left. Mm. And so, same thing with these saddles is they, they can they can be awesome, but they can be disastrous for a successful hunt. And I would ultimately say the best bet to hunt this is going to be something based on your access coming from east to west. Your best wind will likely be either something from the southwest or from the northwest. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really, really tricky because <laughs> you don't have a great that, – that ridge almost kind of makes a diamond shape, if you mm-hmm. will. And it goes pretty far to the south, and it goes pretty far to the north. Mm-hmm. And when it starts going north, it has a little northeast feature to it. Mm-hmm. And then it, when it goes south, you have almost a a uh, a better, I don't know, uh, more of a straight south feature to that ridge that's kind of on the on the west of the saddle. My gut tells me out of the gate, and this could be wrong, and I think anybody would agree that at some point you're going to be wrong if you're just <laughs> looking at an aerial map saying, "No, oh, this is the exact wind you need to hunt it on," because you get there and things may change, but. My gut tells me a southwest wind is the best wind to hunt this saddle on. Mm-hmm. I can, I can and see that. the reason for that is you're in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Southwest wind is probably pretty common. Um, and then the ridge to the south is way more open than the ridge to the north. Mm-hmm. And so a lot less trees specifically cedar trees, the state tree of Oklahoma, I will add, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. is, is not as common on that, on that, uh, ridge to the South. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where I would say, okay, you're probably going to get better winds from South Southwest. Mm-hmm. Now the big kicker to that is to the Northeast of that saddle is a lot of, a lot of trees. Mm-hmm. So you could be throwing your scent across all those trees. Mm-hmm. which might be a negative. Um, that's where I would go in and say, okay, this is where the management really comes into play to say what you could do to deter deer from being northeast of that saddle and to promote activity to the west of that saddle and other places around that saddle. Mm-hmm. That's where management would really get involved and say, okay, what can we do to, to keep the deer from really bedding over there and to really promote them from bedding over here? Uh-huh. And um, 
my gut would say, okay, we've got a lot of different things we can do here, but if I'm, you know, what, what's going on on the, uh, what's going on on the open hillside to the west? I know you guys are cattle, cattle <laughs> people, just like I am. Mm-hmm. So, is there the occasional grazing on this in this unit? Uh, there is every now and again. We we typically graze it usually just once or twice a year after deer season. So it's usually like okay. a fall winter thing, you know, like there's, okay. I, I wouldn't say there's great, but there is some native grass back there. And so we kind of basically, you know, store it and then, uh, let the cows back there later in the year, or I guess earlier in the year, technically. So what do you, uh, what is the main component of that, of that open landscape then? What is the main grass? There, I would probably still say Bermuda, um, some uh, yeah <laughs> um, some indian grass in it some blue stem but it's pro- i would still mm-hmm. call that that little patch there specifically i would call it mostly bermuda gotcha <laughs> gotcha yeah um so not really a great bedding uh, component Mm-mm. of that okay so we've got to move on further south or west into the uh into the uh into the trees mm-hmm. One thing that kind of catches my eye is that there's technically two saddles mm-hmm. in one. And you've got the saddle that's straight south of your waypoint. And I think you're going to share the, the map so mm-hmm. people can hopefully be looking at it. But the one waypoint you have is right dead smack center of the first saddle. Uh-huh. The other saddle that mm-hmm. this could come into play and really be tricky is just ultimately, you know, you got a, I think it's a 20 foot elevation change from one to the next, one topo line to the next. Mm-hmm. But where your uh, waypoint is, if you go due west mm-hmm. and you kind of see that ridge that goes to the south, and then there's another ridge that goes straight west and they merge together, there's a little saddle feature right there. Mm-hmm. And my gut tells me that that's kind of a sleeper that. You could be sitting in your stand expecting them to pour up out of your one, no. and all of a sudden you see that they're going 60 yards up the hill from you mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Um, so that would definitely be something that we got to say, okay, if, that, if that's going to occur, we need to make sure that we put a stop to that. That's what I would say. Hmm. Um, and so how do we do that? How do we keep them from doing that? And it's really, in my head, promoting promoting better bedding and dense cover on the east side of the ridge that runs north and south just west of the saddle and this is one of the struggles that we have you know on our own podcast when we're discussing habitat features on a map that nobody can see unless they look (laughs) at our social media Uh you really have to kind of paint a picture with words right and from a hillbilly uh, hillbilly from uh, Ozark from the Ozarks it, it can be difficult mm-hmm. um, so uh, I would say you know first and foremost what I would try to do to really make this awesome is go right down where that it says 550 the elevation mm-hmm. you see some trees start to form on the south side of that of that main ridge I would start hammering out and trying to get dense cover on that south facing slope mm-hmm. and this is where you know, when you describe this area, I think a lot of people would immediately say, well, that's dense cover. Mm-hmm. Well, it is dense cover in comparison to much of the United States and much of Oklahoma. Um, 
it is pretty dense cover, mm-hmm. but it's not as dense as it could be. And so that's where I really try to help people in my consulting business is understand that on a scale of one to 10, this dense cover that's occurring here now is a six or a seven, which is pretty doggone good when much of the country is a two or a three. Mm-hmm. And, but then if you add, make it, take that six or seven, make it an eight or a nine, well, it's better than the rest of the landscape that may be a six or a seven. Mm-hmm. So they're still going to identify it and bed in it because it is better than everything else. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that around that 550, make, go in, cut out a bunch of cedars, um, hinge cut some of these oaks. We know there's pretty good grass component probably down here that's not Bermuda and probably more native species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you, you treat a few trees. We call it the rule of thirds. So you, you flush cut a bunch of trees, you flush cut a bunch of trees, and you treat them with herbicide. And those could be, oh, goodness, um, it could be, I'm trying to think of something that you might have, blackjack. <laughs> uh, Let's say that, oh, goodness, it's tons of blackjacks. Yeah. Let's treat some of those stumps. Mm-hmm. What, what else kind of trees do we um, have down here? Post oaks, blackjack. Yep. Hickory, lots of hickory, um, some black walnut, yep. um, every yep. kind of oak, some elms. Yeah, and American elm or just kind of like a, well, obviously, we're going to, I don't know if you're, do you have any cedar elm down there, or are you too far north? I don't think so. You're probably too far north. Mm-hmm. We'll get in, that's more of a Texas thing, but mm-hmm. let's just say that all the, that most of the hickories, we're going to treat those stumps because they can get pretty, pretty out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to treat the hickory stumps, we're going to hinge cut some of our blackjack oaks, and our post oaks, and we're going to leave a few that look okay, uh, that might be a future future uh, tree to hang a tree stand in. And we're going to we're going to cut a bunch of cedars down that are over six foot tall. We're going to leave some real bushy ones, three four foot tall. We're going to try to promote some grasses in there just with the sunlight, and we're going to make that really really dense. And uh, just doing that, I mean that literally probably two hours with a chainsaw and you could change that whole area mm-hmm. um and make it better and that's just one side so we've encouraged the south side of the saddle and then we step up and we say okay but that doesn't help us with the two saddles leading to one so it's like two saddles on the south side one saddle on the north side mm-hmm. does that make sense yep yeah and so i would say okay I'm not the, the one saddle, the further west saddle, the sleeper one, I don't get too concerned about as long as I can change and and affect where the deer are entering or exiting the saddle on the north side of, of this open area. Mm-hmm. So this is where I'd use a technique called edge feathering, and I might do pretty aggressive edge feathering to the degree that is, we call it closed edge feathering. And it's basically we're going to cut trees dense enough to where it almost creates a natural barrier that deer just don't want to go through. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're softening the edge. We're making it more conducive for rabbits and quail and things in small game species, but not too dense that it's encouraging skunks and coyotes to den in. Mm-hmm. And so it may, be, it may be two layers of trees, hinge cut parallel with the edge of the field, perpendicular of the saddle direction. And you go from, let's just say, the 550 that's, two, that's 40 foot in from the saddle, go straight south of that, hit the edge of the field, and then take that line and go due west 
and wrap around and go north. Then I may do a, I don't know, a hundred foot section there mm-hmm. and make that so dense that the deer don't navigate through it. Hmm. Now I would go down and go, you know, northeast of where the 550 is on the north side of the saddle. Mm-hmm. And there's like a little opening down in there. Yep. And I may just start hammering same way I did on the south side, but do it going north and thicken that up. Hmm. Now, this is where it's going to get tricky because your access <laughs> is straight across that draw. Uh-huh. That's, uh, that's been so my thought this whole time. You're ultimately going to encourage deer to lay there and watch you come in. Mm-hmm. So if there is any way to move access to mm-hmm. really improve this saddle, we're going to have to think about changing our access. Mm-hmm. And if we can't change it, then we know that we're going to have to, that that we're not making the saddle as good as it could be. Right. And, uh, you know, for me, that's, that's that's always the challenge mm-hmm. each and every day that i'm on a property mm-hmm. we have to weigh out the pros and the cons because no property is perfect not not many of them anyway mm-hmm. um and you have to weigh out okay you know we could make this better but the we're gonna have to spend some money and change the access mm-hmm. and uh you know that that can really come into play but mm-hmm. Ultimately, I would like to see another cut on the north side of that saddle. Right. And, and, and that way we can encourage that natural movement because it's like this. I mean, don't, whenever you look at a map, whether there's terrain or not, you have to understand that not every single spot of that map is going to have a lot of deer traffic. Mm -hmm. There's going to be preferred areas that they travel, preferred areas that they eat, preferred areas that they sleep. Mm -hmm. And, and every, all the travel connections in between those two. And if you look at a terrain feature, then it really gets um, defined. That's why I do love terrain over flat ground. It's because just, just naturally occurring land, we can start creating bottlenecks or finding bottlenecks. Mm -hmm. So if we do habitat work on top of the naturally occurring terrain, that's when we can turn really good spots because of the terrain into really great spots because of the habitat features or habitat projects that we do in correlation with the terrain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, going into the saddle, that's what we're trying to do. It's already a good spot, most likely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I haven't asked you yet, how many times have you hunted this saddle? Um, in previous years, I hunted it like maybe once or twice a year. This year we hunted Mm -hmm. it a little bit more. I had a buddy hunt it twice during muzzleloader season. And then I probably hunted it three times during rifle season, which is, you know, three, four weeks later. Um, so not a ton, but, uh, I mean, almost every time I sit there, we see deer, we see mature bucks. Uh, the last time I hunted it this year, I saw three different mature, nice eight points, um, and mm-hmm. so, I mean, it, it is a hot spot for sure. Um, but again, like it just, yeah. just the way it lays out, I've always been afraid to hunt it too much. And so that's kind of the, the, uh, is there more? Oh, okay. Do you hunt it in the mornings or evenings more? More in the mornings, probably. Okay. When you're hunting in the mornings, are deer going from the South side to the North side or from the North side to the South side? It's pretty even really. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's just a, just a natural back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. 
So ultimately, we're we're hunting a bedding area rather than a food area because if it was food, we would have a pretty good idea mm. from one side going to the other. Yep. Um, is, you tracking me there? I'm with and you. So then, yeah. uh, do you, um, whenever they're cutting that saddle, are they using that other saddle much? That sleeper saddle. So that hill is just big enough that you can't see that other saddle. Oh, snap. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... it's. Now, I will say, I have a new blind on the way, and if I get a tall enough tower, I might be able to see it, but I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's... So, it's you, you can't see that second one. They kind of bleed into each other. Mm-hmm. It appears. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the... Uh, LIDAR is about the only topo line I could think... Or topo map that I could say that you'd be able to see clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, it's just so hard for companies like onyx to have that detailed or it mm-hmm. would be nothing but an orange map of topo line right but, um if you're are you hunting this from a blind or a tree stand from a blind so i've i've never bow hunted it just because i'm afraid to really get down in that saddle and so i have a, yeah a, it'll actually it's actually an old blind that i found on the property and pushed back in the trees and i set it up just an old tin blind on a metal frame uh, and I want to say it's, it's probably eight feet, something like that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've pretty much just rifle hunted out of that blind. It's probably, I'm going to say it's about 140 yards from that blind to like dead center of the saddle. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I would, uh, so I'm brainstorming as we go mm-hmm. and we're, we're throwing ideas at the dartboard here. Yep. Um, but I would say Adding the thickets on both sides is a, is a is a must. Mm-hmm. Um, doing the edge feathering helps encourage better use, uh, more defined entry and exit into the timber on the north side versus a sporadic feature. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if we did that edge feathering from where I said, just south of the 550 on the north side of the saddle, and you and you worked a line all around it, we could ultimately, hopefully take that sleeper saddle and then cause those deer to move to the east mm-hmm. and then tuck in the timber in the same place that the, the deer that are coming from the, the first main saddle, the uh-huh. one that we're talking about, uh-huh. that would help. Uh-huh. Another thing that I would really, you know, that we could do, we could try to do, and I would encourage you to, but it could be difficult, would be trying to add some, some form Two other attractions, mm-hmm. one being a big mock community scrape, mm-hmm. like right at the edge of the timber, let's say 20 yards back from where the end of the edge feathering is, and then find a limb that overhangs, do something. Mm-hmm. Weed eat it twice during the growing season, spray it with herbicide, keep it open during from September to December. There should be no vegetation growing in that area. So not just the this actual scrape spot underneath the underneath the licking branch mm-hmm. but five yards out and around that as well mm-hmm. to make a nice big community looking scrape mm-hmm. start it on your own but then continue to monitor it with trail cameras um and and kind of see who's moving through the area mm-hmm. the other thing i would do since it is oklahoma is try to figure out a way to create some sort of water source here. Um, and you ask north side or south side of the saddle. Mm-hmm. We're going north slope, 
more mm-hmm. shade, mm-hmm. less evaporation, more life, more uh, a better chance at holding water throughout the fall. Mm-hmm. So that could be, you know, for for me when I have when I talk to a dozer operator or somebody, you know, I've got clients with a tractor with a bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a they've got a front loader on their tractor. And they're like, well, what? How, I mean, I can't dig a pond. Well, I'm not looking for a pond. I'm looking yeah. for like a swimming pool. <laughs> and uh, like two foot deep, maybe, take a box blade, take your front end loader, and just start scraping and try to dig it down. And because it's on that north slope, it can catch some runoff, mm-hmm. and it's going to catch some shade. Mm-hmm. And if we have to, we can talk about putting bentonite clay on it mm-hmm. or, you know, even a cheap liner just to do something to encourage um deer to stop and grab a quick drink of water now they're Mm -hmm. taking most of their veg their most water from vegetation but Mm -hmm. we know that if it's there they're going to take a drink if they need one Mm -hmm. and so it can slow them down it can bring them closer to a more defined like it's a pretty defined saddle but Mm -hmm. if anybody sits on a saddle knows even if the saddle is a tight little squeeze it's let's say it's 60 yards wide i'm thinking of one of them at, at my family farm that is a really defined saddle mm-hmm. they're still that's 60 yards that's mm-hmm. the difference between in bow range and out of bow range right and so adding that that mock scrape and the water hole mm-hmm. in conjunction with edge feathering and the bedding thickets mm-hmm. we're we're really getting somewhere let me ask you this question Let's just say some person might have happened to maybe have planted a, about a third acre food plot in the middle of that saddle this year. Would you say yeah. that that person did something good or bad? Oh, hypothetically, well, of course. <laughs> yeah, hypothetically. Uh-huh. I think we really have to understand the the dynamics of the herd and mm-hmm. pressure mm-hmm. because I have seen personally good spots be ruined because mm-hmm. of the creation of a food plot. Right. And that's where we really have to kind of come in with velvet gloves and going just how much can we get away with? Mm-hmm. So if it's like kind of, I personally, I kind of like having areas that aren't food plot to hunt, mm-hmm. especially in morning sets that mm-hmm. I know are pretty good. I like the idea of going, okay, I don't, you know, I can, I can put a food plot and suck deer into a food plot pretty good in, you know, understanding where they're bedding and things, but mm-hmm. if the saddle's there, I'm, you know, you could get away with not even having to plant it mm-hmm. and just let it stay that kind of thick chest high grass, water hole, box scrape close to bedding to where deer are going to move through there all all day long mm-hmm. but research tells us that if there's much hunting pressure on food plots daylight activity and mature bucks decreases right so that's where you start adding food plots in the landscape and you're hunting food plots and then you stick one in on an area like this mm-hmm. you you might do more harm than good yeah yeah that was my concern all right i'll admit it it was me i did it um, you know, I, I guess yeah. my thought was, uh, because I'd seen, you know, deer traveling through there in the past and stuff, I knew it was a good natural spot. Uh, my thinking was like getting them to stop, you know, giving me a shot opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to put a feeder, you know, Oklahoma's a bait state. We can use feeders. I didn't want to put a feeder, a big, you know, kind of abrasive shy away from feeder type thing in there. I knew better than that. 
but I did, I, I liked the idea of a little food plot just to kind of maybe narrow them in a little bit. Uh, not necessarily yeah. try to attract them. How but did it work? It, I think it worked pretty good. Um, uh, you know, several does would come through and most of the time when I saw a buck, he'd usually come up to the edge of it. I, you know, more checking for does than eating out of the plot. Uh-huh. Um, I did see one or two yep. bucks kind of come out on the hill above it and look down into it and then, you know, go off and not yep. come check it out. Um, and so that's kind of what made me, made me spark was that type of activity where they could see it from a distance, look down on it and not necessarily travel through it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of one of those things where just because you did it doesn't mean you can't, you don't have, you have to be married to that for several years exactly. you could abandon it the next year if you choose mm-hmm. and i to me it's just one of those things where it's not a huge investment to create a food plot mm-hmm. so if you're like yeah i'm not so sure it, it works this year next year abandon it let mm-hmm. it grow up in ragweed and other mm-hmm. different things and then say you know what it was better this fall than it was years past we're going to leave it the way we're going to keep it in that weedy kind of grown up component rather than a food plot but mm-hmm. That's where you almost need a, a history to compare um, the results to, to then decide what you're going to do moving forward. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, that that's the – this is exactly why when people ask me terrain features that I like, the saddle is – it carries a lot more baggage than a, than a draw. <laughs> yeah. And I may have to explain exactly what a draw is to me because saddle is like, there's a lot of fine print. There's a lot mm-hmm. of what if, there's a lot of scenarios that you have to play out mm-hmm. and you may play it out all in your head perfectly. And then you get there and you're like, ah, I hunted it on this wind and it's world. Mm-hmm. So the next time you go back, you may have to hunt it on a different wind. And it may take a couple of years to get it dialed. Mm-hmm. And say, you know what? I have to access it this way, and I have to hunt it on that one wind, and it has to be over eight miles an hour, and it has to be after the leaves fall in uh, in October and November, and that basically lines it up to where I can only hunt it November fifth and November ninth, and the rest of the year I stay out of there. Mm-hmm. And you know, looking at the map here, um, this is kind of centrally located, so. Yeah. This is a spot that maybe it is just because of the location that we stay out of it until mm-hmm. um, until uh, the it's prime ready. But one thing I will add is when you look at your access, where your road comes in from the north, if you had a big bedding area down on that point to the north of the saddle, mm-hmm. you could actually come up the crown of that ridge and hunt the downwind side with south winds or a southeast mm-hmm. wind and be set up you're still hunting the saddle but you're hunting with a different wind and you're really only hunting one portion of the saddle right huh I and, like that. And, and and that's where you know to me you know mm-hmm. if it's a really great spot let's find multiple ways to hunt it yeah and uh because it's like this uh people are if anybody listens to me much at all, so my mom is probably sick of hearing this on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I say this analogy a lot, and I'm, you know, um, pardon me if you if you don't like analogies, but it's basically my business is to chew up research mm-hmm. that universities do in game and wildlife and habitat management and ecology, and then 
put it in a form that more people can understand. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we go into a lot of analogies. And, And I use this one a lot for people to understand how to hunt or how to visualize hunting a property effectively so you can have daylight activity from the beginning of season to the end of season to where your deer feel unpressured. Mm -hmm. And I I use this show from the nineties that I watched when I was a kid, home improvement. Oh yeah. It had Tim Allen and, uh, and he had three boys Mm -hmm. and he was Tim, the tool man, Taylor. There was a guy on that show called Wilson Mm -hmm. and Wilson through the whole series, you never got to see him from the nose down. He was the neighbor in the backyard. They shared a a backyard and there was a fence and you never got to see because Wilson was always peeking over the fence, talking to Tim, giving him advice, but you never got to see his face completely. And I, and I like to set up my properties and it may just, it's not just one property and it's all like this. It could be, you may have to fragment the farm if you will, to where you picture a, 200 acre farm being ultimately like three different size farms it Mm -hmm. could be and it could be a 100 acre farm a 50 acre farm another 50 acre farm given your access Mm -hmm. and within that you ultimately want to set up your farm to be like the the tailors or um tim allen's backyard and you're Wilson. Mm-hmm. You see the deer's backyard. Mm-hmm. You get to be in their backyard ultimately, but you're not actually physically fully exposed in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So this saddle is a phenomenal saddle, but if you were to be fully exposed, the the, the daylight activity is going to drop like a mm-hmm. like the 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 amount of activity you're going to fall off the table with with activity. It's gonna right. it's gonna go down really quickly if you overuse it if you overhunt it if Mm -hmm. you the access is bad the wind's bad Mm -hmm. all those things are going to quickly um cause daylight daylight activity go down Mm -hmm. so to say that though you can then have other access to hunt this and still be in the game but not have to be in the exact same stand right so if it were me, I would love to find a way to get to that property or that to that little ridge that goes to the north and be on a side slope with a southeast wind or a south wind mm-hmm. and still be right in the game. Mm-hmm. Just downwind, 50 yards away from that bedding cut, have another scrape. It looks like there's an old road that goes down the spine of that ridge. Yep, there is. Have another big scrape right there. Mm-hmm. So deer are using their nose, man. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a south wind, they're going to be on the south side of that bedding cut, the bucks in particular. So if I'm hunting this on a southwest wind, yeah, I can use the saddle to my advantage. But if it's southeast wind, it's terrible mm-hmm. to hunt the actual saddle. Yeah. So then you get on the other side of it, down on that ridge, and you hunt it with a perf- just a phenomenal wind, but the wind's still in the deer's favor. And uh, th- that's where I can take advantage of, of just knowing what's going on and um and and taking advantage of it so mm-hmm. man i like that a lot yeah and i'm already thinking uh yeah. if, if you see my little gate symbol there it kind of goes up the the west side of that little ridge i'm already thinking about bumping that over one ridge to the east you know maybe try to get my access over a little further um i would so i would you know even if it's cross the creek and go drive right along the boundary or uh-huh. right along that fence line mm-hmm and then come in just to the northwest of that pond mm-hmm. right before the creek really kind of 
stacks in against the trees mm-hmm. go right up there. That would yeah. greatly improve so your your access. That's always been my dream. That's the uh, the little. Uh, uh, spring I was telling you about. So I've gotten stuck there yeah. many times up against that fence. And so, uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm stuck. You may have go- to try to, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Duck over. Mm-hmm. You're trying to like jump over the fence right before you run out of real estate. Is ultimately much. what we're trying to do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and then if you can just then use that opening by the pond on the mm-hmm. east side, navigate through and use the, the naturally prevailing wind is most likely something from the west. So try to throw your scent over onto the neighbor mm-hmm. and then just kind of loop your way back and around and get into that saddle. And I think it's just game over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm liking it. And then that opens up, that opens up the possibility to hunt, you know, you don't want to get too close to your saddle when you're trying to navigate down to the Southern boundary mm-hmm. and, uh, and go there. So, right. Right. I mean, there's there's saddles all over this place. We there really is. Start breaking it down. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you one more question, because this is something that's also kind of blown my mind this whole time. That whole southwestern corner is kind of one... I always refer to it as the canyon. I know it's technically not a canyon, but basically one giant draw with a yeah. bunch of fingers. And I've always kind of yeah. had that as, you know, quote-unquote a sanctuary. Um, I just try to stay out of there. It's, you know, pretty thick and nasty Again, that was all uh, logged back in 2008, and so it's you know kind of understory, new growth type stuff. Um, what would yeah. you do to that area? I mean, I know there's lots that can be done as far as thickening it up and bedding and stuff, but just kind of top of your head, shotgun blast, what would you suggest doing with that whole area? Uh, it depends on the goals. Mm-hmm. Are we managing for turkeys? Are we managing for turkeys quail deer we manage in just deer each one of those requires a little bit different management mm-hmm. um if we're saying you know what this this is for this part of the farm is specifically for deer then we're trying to increase the diversity and the the thickness to try to hold daylight activity mm-hmm. sounds like it's already pretty thick mm-hmm. but we can probably improve some of the thick areas and go from that six or seven up to a eight or nine Mm -hmm. and so you know part of that is the that one cut that i talked about um you could do the same thing if you chose to uh some of those other knolls like Mm -hmm. just across from the area the area that i talked about cutting first Uh you could go just across that that finger of of the main draw Mm -hmm. and hit that west slope and do the same thing to it Mm -hmm. and then you could do the same thing um the very southwest corner, uh, just west of your food plot, mm-hmm. I would I would definitely do the same thing down there just yep. to try to suck deer closer to your food plot and mm-hmm. improve the daylight activity of your food plot down in the in the southern end of the of the mm-hmm. of the farm. So like I see two big places that you could do this cut. Mm-hmm. Um and improve your food plot down there around the triangle. I don't mm-hmm. know what you call that one, but let's just call it the <laughs> triangle field. Okay. If you go straight west there's a good knoll right there that'd be a prime spot to cut uh-huh. and then you go just northwest and you see that 550 elevation mm-hmm. there's another prime spot to cut it so you could have two mm-hmm. bedding areas um closely located to a food plot mm-hmm. so we know we're going to improve daylight activity because of that mm-hmm. but then the other thing you could do is during mornings as you navigate through and you get down there before getting to the food plot you take an immediate 
west and you go right along that 550 line of topo and hunt in the timber mm-hmm. 100 yards away from the food plot catching deer as they're leaving the food plot coming back to bedding in the morning mm. i like that mm-hmm. yeah yep you read and my then, mind a little bit on this know, too that's i've that's always been in the plan i guess so it's nice to have that confirmed i actually used to have a yeah i used to have a small food plot on that little deal to the west i'd cleared out some of those cedars oh, yeah. and stuff but i just felt like it was way too invasive and uh i'd get pictures of bucks yep. going there to hunt every now and again and wouldn't see a thing and so that's why i kind of backed yep. it out into the main field there and it's actually worked out great because now it's kind of grown back as some thick nasty bedding um but definitely room for mm-hmm. improvement there yeah. And so, you know, uh, the sanctuary term is, is one of those things where it's like, sure, you stay out of it mm-hmm. and it's already got some decent cover. It is a sanctuary, mm-hmm. but it could be better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to really, would I rather have 40 acres, a 40 acre sanctuary with two bedding cuts in there, or these little thick micro clear cuts, or would I rather have 250 acres of sanctuary? Mm-hmm. I'd rather have the 40 because mm-hmm. at least I know where they're bedding. Yeah, and I at least I have an idea of to start, but 200 acres, whew, the mm-hmm. exact same is of we just stay out of. That's really really difficult to to pinpoint where deer are going to be. So mm-hmm. that's just uh, that's my two cents on on the term sanctuary mm-hmm. and specifically to that draw is going. I would still cut. It's going to be hard to manage it. It's going to be hard to hunt it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it wouldn't be bad to run a fire through there to keep it kind of somewhat at bay, mm-hmm. but. I would I would do cutting on your little knolls right before it breaks over into the canyons. Yep, for sure, for sure. Awesome, man. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. I'm looking at my list here. We've covered <laughs> quite a bit, pretty much all my questions. One of the ones I definitely, which you addressed right at the beginning, was not all saddles are equal. I think that was definitely a big part yeah. of it. Um, and then kind of, I feel like we've covered this a little bit, but just the whole concept of like, you know, we're talking about doing these bedding cuts and a water hole and stuff and just kind of the thought process of like risking messing up a good thing. You know, like I have this saddle, uh-huh. I know deer use it. Um, I would love to improve it. You know, I plan to improve it and stuff, but there is, a, would you say there is a risk factor there maybe with going in and making some of these changes or in your experience, is it, I wouldn't say bulletproof, but you know, higher chance of success than not. Uh, as far as the bedding cut, cutting in those areas, not a chance. Like mm-hmm. I nine, almost ten out of ten, and I almost don't want to give that because I hate speaking in absolutes. But <laughs> I don't, I cannot think of an instance where a landowner said they're really bedding in here. We cut it. Now they're not bedding in there. Mm-hmm. That is just not something I hear. Mm-hmm. That is not a fear of mine whatsoever. Yeah, edge feathering eh, has a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, if they really like moving, you know, for whatever reason, we didn't pinpoint or you haven't pinpointed it, and they like to kind of walk the line of the open and then go on down to the spine of that ridge where I was talking about hunting, then that could could deter and cause deer to go more to the west side of the saddle. I don't think it will happen, mm-hmm. um, so that wouldn't really scare me. The biggest fear I have in managing that saddle and trying to improve it is making a food plot right out in the middle of it. <laughs> yep. Yep. That the the water hole feature does not scare me. It's mm-hmm. only it's it's positive or neutral. Mm-hmm. The mock scrape is positive or neutral. The bedding cuts are positive or neutral. 
food plot could be a positive, but it could also be a huge negative. Mm -hmm. And it's a coin toss, especially with, and it could be, it's a coin toss from one buck to the next. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know we're uh, running out of time here, but I I meant to tell this story at the beginning, uh, but I'm going to tell it now real quick. Uh, You had a huge influence on the way I think about just property management and all this and stuff. Uh, You probably don't even remember this, but when we did that first tour, when y'all came out to our our old place, we were driving around and just like y'all kind of, not necessarily make fun of, but mention a lot, you know, I just wanted to take y'all to the food plots and show you that stuff and I remember we got to the, yep. this one big food plot that I was real proud of. You know, we'd cut it in and dozed it in and everything. And I remember saying that, you know, the deer bed over there, and you just looked at me and you said, or I, I think I said the bedding area is over there. And you looked at me and you're like, why is that a bedding area? And I was kind of like shrugged my shoulders. Like, I don't know. That's where the deer come from. Like I had, <laughs> I had no reason to believe yeah. that was or why. Like I just knew that the deer came from that direction. And uh, I've never forgotten yeah. that to this day. And uh, so much of my just hunting setup and mindset and access and all that, like, whereas I used to be like, okay, this is the food source. How do I hunt it or blah, blah, blah. Like now I'm more so like, okay, this is where the deer want to be. This is the bedding. Then, you know, yeah. where do I want food or where do I want my stand and everything like that. So that one question just like completely changed my hunting mindset so i just want to give <laughs> well, you credit I'm for that happy, i'm happy to hear that mm-hmm. yeah i appreciate that that mm-hmm. is definitely something that i've learned over time where you know just asking yourself the simple question of why mm-hmm. and in everything you do of why did i pick this stand and mm-hmm. why are the deer doing that mm-hmm. or why are do i believe they're coming from there mm-hmm. and just asking that simple question can really help you unpack and, and 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 let's let's have a little laugh and say that you know maybe that's because uh you know um i feel like every once in a while not every once in a while but my wife will ask me like why did you do that you actually have to think about why mm-hmm. did i do that and mm-hmm. then you carry that over into hunting and you're like why am i doing this mm-hmm. why did i do it like that why did i believe that mm-hmm. and ultimately it makes you a better hunter and a landowner and a, and a land manager of saying okay I can do better and I want to know why they're betting there. And for you and in, in this podcast going, okay, I know why they're betting there. Cause I, I cut the daggum cedars down mm-hmm. and I cut the trees and, mm-hmm. and I made it thick. That's mm-hmm. why they're betting there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I always think of you, John, I'll share a quick story. When somebody says, <laughs> you know, I've got this story on you from years back. I'm like, uh Oh, uh-huh. what are we going to talk about here? Yep. Um, I always think of you and I, I chuckle because it was one of those, we had a good time when we visited you and your dad and your brother mm-hmm. back, uh, whatever year that was. And I always think of you whenever we started the, the, the visit. And then we ended the visit. We were talking about, Whoo, John, you got a lot of trees in these food plots. You remember that? <laughs> I almost brought that up. Granted, those were not my fault. That was all from the previous owner, but I absolutely yeah. had done nothing about him. And I, man, it took me, after y'all left, those trees, I will say, probably stayed there for another two to three years because I just could not bring myself yeah. to cut down these you know, giant white oak <laughs> trees. Uh, but I, I did eventually yeah. cut them down. I will say that. And I'm not quite as yeah. hesitant. Uh, you know, I, I almost brought that up at the beginning, too. Like, you know, you, like I said, you guys were pretty fresh and young out of the box, and y'all had these ideas to me that seemed very extreme. You know, this like 
There wasn't oh, yeah. all, there wasn't all these hob- habitat podcasts or YouTube videos and everything. It was kind of I wouldn't say that stuff wasn't around, but it was kind of just getting popular. And, and I grew up with the yep. mindset that y'all talk about like you know the deer are in the woods, the deer are in the woods, and then you hunt them in the fields. And so, like, yeah. cutting trees was very extreme, and especially, you know, yep. you, you were talking about cutting down some of these giant oak trees, and I was just like, I mean, I almost brought a tear to my eye putting a chainsaw to them when I finally did cut them, but <laughs> I will say, you know, that property that we just sold, like, it could have been so much better than it was uh, if I would have implemented those things, you know, way earlier, wouldn't have been so hesitant. So, yeah. so I'll throw that out there as a yeah. plug to you guys is, you know, you guys do know what you're talking about and, and don't be afraid. Yeah. So. Well, we appreciate you. You know, when we first started, there was a lot of, you know, we were still pretty young. We're still kind of young in mm-hmm. comparison to some of the other consultants out there. And, you know, and we had some ideas and, and still to this day, I, I mean, we, we haven't changed our philosophy hardly at all. And I, and I would almost say not at all. And I think that was a big part of, of the, of the growing for Matt and I was here's young guys and we have crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. And so uh, some of our early on con, con, uh, clients were a little hesitant on making those big changes, but mm-hmm. over time, I know you and I've talked not on this podcast, but mm-hmm. in conversation of like, once you started implementing the cuts, it became pretty obvious of, wow, mm-hmm. deer are like moths to flame with those things. Uh-huh. And I know it sounds weird, but almost being able to, I mean, like you're really kind of controlling them, controlling their movement. And so, it, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've since had my, I've since had my mind blown. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Man. Uh-huh. I'm excited to hear how the progress goes on this, on this new yeah. venture of, of this other farm. Me too. Me too, but well, man, I don't want to keep yeah. you uh, any longer. We're coming up on an hour here, but I do want to give you a quick chance to shout out Land and Legacy and y'all's business and everything. So tell the people where they can find you guys. Yeah, buddy, I appreciate it. So we are on YouTube, Land and Legacy. Just search Land and Legacy. You'll probably even find us on uh, Whitetail Properties YouTube channel if you want to see more content, video content about everything we talked about on this podcast. Um, you can find us on social media, Land and Legacy. And if you've got any interest in our consulting services, TV, and click on the consultation tab. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Adam, thanks again, man. I really appreciated this, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, buddy. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, man. And that will do it. Thanks, Adam, for coming on. That was a huge help. Absolutely loved that conversation. So many ideas. Uh, some of them I had thought of, but a lot of them I had not. Um, definitely never considered, you know, maybe blocking some access to that other saddle. Um, water hole had not really come to my mind. That's a great idea. Um, I really liked what he said about, you know, setting up a, another hunting po- uh, position there on the north end of that point and still kind of like you said, hunting the saddle, but not necessarily hunting the saddle. Absolutely love that. Um, I just love having another spot to hunt. Um, and you know, we have a predominant, predominantly have a South wind. And so that would actually work fantastic most days of the year. And so definitely got the, uh, the old wheels spinning and I can't wait to get out there and start doing some of that habitat work. So thanks again, Adam. Really appreciate it. Uh, one last quick announcement I wanted to make before I shut down here. Uh, and I'm not, you know, getting paid to say this or anything, but the total archery challenge is coming to Beaver's Bend, Oklahoma, April 1st through 3rd. 
And so there's a very good probability I'm going to be out there. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to shoot or not or just go out there and hang out. Uh, who knows, may take the boat and just fish all day while y'all are shooting. But I will probably be around there somewhere that day. And so I just want to throw that out there for anybody listening who may not be aware. Um, the, I think they said they're going to have over 100 3D targets um, for those of you who don't know what the Total Archery Challenge is, they usually have, it's basically almost like a golf course for archery. And so you hike along a trail and every so often there's a target set up. Um, they have, I believe, three different courses. And so if, if you want to really challenge yourself, they have some, you know, courses that have long shots and steep angles and that type of thing. Uh, they have one course that's kind of for, the, you know, maybe the more common person. I think they said like 20 to 60 yard shots. Um, but it's just a great way to kind of get out of the normal practice of just shooting in the backyard. You know, you can shoot at cool targets, shoot at steep angles, you know, type of situation you might find yourself in sometimes. So just wanted to throw that out there here ahead of time. Come to the Backwoods Show, and I've kept you guys long enough this week. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys right back here next week on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. Outdoors Podcast.